49 days, 49 days of lockdown. Um, and we're gradually now emerging into, into physical freedom. Uh, well, Tessa and I haven't, we haven't even left our, left our property yet, like I was saying before, but yeah, we will, <laughs> will we? After this, maybe. Yeah, we've gotten quite used to being at home. But, but yeah, so for seven weeks, many of us have barely left our homes or our, our neighbourhoods, and I've, I've heard of quite a few people that have ended up with flat, you know, flat car batteries because they haven't uh, used their cars very much. And, and so now it's like, after all this time, I mean, that, that's quite a long time. What do we do now? Do we just move on uh, as best we can, um, or is there is there meaning to be found in those forty nine days? Is there like purposes, um, things that we can hold on to going forward? Are there changes in our lives uh, that we need to make? Are there shifts in in our priorities? Is there like reallocation of resources towards our existing priorities that we're becoming aware of? You know, has the has the lockdown actually made you consider what uh, what's actually important in life? Because it has for me. These are all questions that that I'm that I'm posing because uh, these are the kind of questions I've been I've been thinking about. There's things that I've missed and that I'm really looking forward to. But strangely, as I was reflecting on it, that you know, even though there's been less freedoms, there's there are things that I've that I've really valued being free from. And I wonder if this is this is like a really good time where we can take stock, you know, note the things, um, note the things that are going on for us, and see if our lives can be rejigged and built around priorities, values, and the things that we we decide. Uh, or we know are important. So <clears throat> I'm going to do a bit of an English lesson. <laughs> uh, you know, there's little words that get stuck in front of other words to modify their meaning. Uh, they're called prefi prefixes, prefix or prefix. Yeah, I think it's prefix. And um, and recently there's this prefix that just keeps popping up everywhere. You might have noticed that on Thursday, the government released their uh, budget, uh, their 2020 budget, and it's called Rebuilding Together. And economists were talking about it um, beforehand, and they were saying three words in relation to the budget. They were saying it was going to be about reform, retraining, repurposing. I heard a, I heard a counsellor talking about lessons from this lockdown time, and the lessons all revolved around these words, reveal, uh, revise, replenish, and reset. Like this prefix, re. It's everywhere. It's popping up all over the place. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a church a church leadership meeting over Zoom, which was really cool, actually. And um, and people had these words on their mind, uh, words on their hearts, that they felt the Lord was speaking to them and to us as a church about in this season. And the words were um, re refine, recovery, and recover, and reset, and um, redeem. The prefix re is is an interesting one. You know, it changes the re it changes the meaning of of the word. Uh, for example, if you look at the word reset, when you set something, it means putting something in place, like uh, like you you go and set the table. 
reset, that means that somebody's come along and they've, they've messed the table up. And so now you need to reset it. Uh, verbs that begin with re, they indicate repetition or restoration. And I think that was a word that you mentioned when we were praying before the service, eh? About res restoration or reformation. Yeah, restoration and reformation. Because restoration is, is another key word. And everybody, you know, whether you're in the church or outside the church, everyone's got this feeling that now life needs to be restored. Schools need to get underway. Uh, shops need to be selling stuff. People need to be back to work. Life, uh, with all its reliability and routines, has been disrupted, incredibly disrupted, and now it needs to be restored. And so, you know, questions that we have are... Um, what should it be restored to? And, and do we get to choose? So over the next few Sundays, I'm going to take some time to pick up on these, on these re-words, these words that begin with the prefix re. And the words that I'm going to look at are re-center, re-align, recreate, and renew. These are, these are words that I feel have significance, and importance in this season. I guess I, I feel like they're words that, that the Lord is actually wanting us to, uh, to think about and to consider thoughtfully and think about, um, you know, how, how our lives respond as a result of them. So let's begin with the first word, recenter. When you think of your center, or the, the center of your being, the core of who you are, what do you think of? Like when you think of my, your center, what do you think of? I think for a lot of people, the answer would be their heart. And they're not, when they're talking about, you know, when we talk about our heart, we're not always talking about the organ that uh, goes boom, bitty, boom, bitty, boom, you know, pumping blood around our bodies, but about something else, about something else. And it's the same in the Bible. The, the Hebrew word for heart used in the Old Testament is this word levav or lev. And the Greek word often used in the New Testament is cardia, uh, from when we get, get words like cardiology or cardiogram. And sometimes, you know, it's talking about the organ in our chest. Um, it might have been you know, 2,000 years ago, but they did understand... Um, things about how the body works. And so sometimes it's talking about the organ that pumps blood around our bodies, but other times it was referring to a person's center, to their, um, their center for their physical, emotional, intellectual, and moral activities. You know, this, the center where our decisions come from or our, uh, the center from where our, our responses to things going on uh, come from. A person's heart is, is of critical importance. It's, our heart uh, helps define us. It's part of what defines us. I read, I read this from the uh, Bible Project team, and they said the heart, that they're talking about the biblical meaning of the word heart. Uh, they write, the heart is the generator of physical life and also your intellectual and emotional life. The heart is where you make, your, make choices motivated by your desires. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They are called the desires of your heart. If you really want something, you'll go after it. 
and uh, you know it reminds us of um, of that proverb in the Old Testament that says, "Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life." That's Proverbs four twenty three. Everything we do in life flows from out of our heart, and Jesus talks about this. He says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So even what we say and and how we say it is determined by our center, by our heart. You know, our, our and outward our outward I can't even say it. Our outward actions. I need Susan Holt to give me some um, speaking lessons. I think our outward actions can reveal what's going on in our heart. When I was growing up, I'd hear the word heart being used in church, and I'd kind of think that my heart was this, like this empty space, maybe it was this, this cavity uh, within me, <laughs> this, this container that was, that was ready to be filled up, and it needed to be filled with Jesus, right, because I was in church. Uh, but as I, as I was been reflecting on it, I, it's not so much the empty space, I mean, maybe, it, maybe there is a sense of being filled, but it's... Uh, it's not so much an empty space, and, it, and it's kind of a bit more like this, the, the CPU of a computer, the central processing unit uh, of your computer or your smartphone. You know, that magical bit in, in your phone that makes all of its decisions, makes your computer's decision, decisions. Information gets fed into the CPU, and it does stuff. Who knows how and what, but it does stuff, and then something happens, and like, and all of a sudden, Facebook opens up on your computer, or hopefully this live stream of our of our church service, you know. And so, whether whether we're we're a child or whether we're an adult, we have a heart that it's not it's not so much an empty space. It's it's the it's the space where our decisions uh, come from, and uh, information feeds into it, and we and we react in certain ways. And yet, on the other hand, there there is a sense of it being being filled. You know, like um, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe maybe a month or so ago, I told you the story about how I came to faith in Jesus as a, as a child, and I was about nine years old, and and I prayed, and I invited Jesus into my heart. And I, like I was saying before, when I was a child, I had this sort of idea that a heart, my heart was this empty space that needed to be filled up with something. And so I prayed and I invited Jesus into my heart to come and fill that empty space. And, and I felt changed. I felt different. There's no, I can't deny it. I felt different. I was filled with joy and I, and I had this sense of peace, like the sense that I was now okay with God. And that, and that sense, that feeling has not, has not left uh, through all of the ups and downs of life. That, that sort of foundation has not left me. When I, when I was a child, I wasn't thinking about my heart as, as being a CPU. Um, I, didn't have that, I didn't have that sort of idea that uh, my heart was where all my decisions and all my responses flowed. But that was fine. That was okay. I was changed that day. But I still want us to think about it. <clears throat> you know, what does it mean to invite Jesus into our hearts? You know, given what I've just been talking about, about our hearts and how this is where our decisions and everything flow from, what does it mean to invite Jesus into our hearts? And why would people want to do that? Why is it, why is it so important to God that we invite Jesus into our hearts? How come 
inviting Jesus into our hearts is so important that it actually results in an unbreakable connection with God, this deep relationship with God, meaning that we now have eternal life with God. Like just as a as a personal reflection, why would I feel peace with God as a result of asking Jesus into my heart? Interesting questions, eh? Hopefully what I what I talk about this morning will will kind of like feed into that a wee bit. But first, I want to uh, kind of like take a bit of a sidestep into some ancient history. 2,000 years ago, from, from a prison cell, the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, which is a city, in, um, which is a city located in modern-day Turkey, but back then it was a city in ancient Greece. And it was this really important commercial city of around 230,000 people. Which doesn't really sound that big to us, right? No, doesn't sound that big. Um, but at that time, it was the second biggest city in the world. I had to look this up. I got really intrigued. Like, um, the biggest city in the world today is, some of you might know, I didn't know, it was Tokyo. And Tokyo has 37, 37 million people, and it's followed by Delhi, which has 30 million people. Like, unbelievable numbers. But Ephesus, at the time, 2,000 years ago, was the second biggest city in the world with its 230,000 people. And it had its own cake tin. It had its stadium that could hold 25,000 people. You know, so Ephesus, in some ways, sounds a lot like Wellington, right? Wellington's the um, the most important city in New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and we've got a cake tin of 25,000 people. Ephesus was a really important religious center. And it had this temple to a Greek goddess, Artemis. And they had had festivals, games, theatrical events, contests, and so on, all held in honor to this goddess. Uh, The religion, the the worship of Artemis was really important. Even commercially, it was important to the city. Uh, People made business out of it. Uh, They'd make money out of it. You know, for example, people making idols and, and selling those. It was a real big deal. And so you can imagine that if you lived in this city, uh, that it would be a really challenging place to be a Christian, to believe that Jesus is the one and only God, um, to believe that God is supreme, that God is all-powerful, to believe that no other gods should be worshipped apart from God himself. When people decided to follow Jesus in Ephesus, it was a massive decision, like so profound. It would have involved massive changes in their in their lives. Like it was really countercultural. They would have to think about everything that they that they do and, and that they that their family family does and all these kind of things. So anyway, from prison, Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. And he actually might have been in a prison cell in Ephesus itself. But he's not writing about himself and his difficulties. Instead, he's writing to encourage them and to teach them. And he even prays for them. So in Ephesians 3, uh, 14 to 19, is, is this prayer that Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. And he prays this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The Christians in Ephesus, they face massive challenges and tensions as they follow the way of Jesus in their city and in their communities. And as, you know, they lived in a city that had at its, at its heart the temple to Artemis. People would come from all over the place to this temple, which was a visible representation of the goddess and of her, of her power. But Paul prays for the Christians that they'd be strengthened with invisible power through the Spirit in their inner being. So rather than it being a visible representation of power, they were to be strengthened invisibly within. They'd have strength and power within themselves from the Spirit of God. And that Jesus would dwell in their hearts, make his home in their hearts. He prays that their foundation would be love and the love of God, this vast love of God, to know the king's love, though actually it's so deep that nobody can really know it. The center of the city of Ephesians, I mean, the center of the city of Ephesus, its heart, was the temple to Artemis. But Paul prays that the center for the Christians in Ephesians, their centers, their hearts, would be filled with Jesus. In the city, in that city, it sounds like everything, like, like loads of life flowed from out of the temple of Artemis. Like all, all the worship and all their ways of life. Uh, they would have had to have been so aware of, of this goddess because they were afraid that she was going to, um, you know, she was going to, if, if they offended her, then, then yeah, there'd be retribution and so on. Everything was connected to, to that. But Paul prays that it would be different. It would be so different for the Christians that for, for them, everything would flow out from their heart for their, you know, as I said before, their center for physical and emotional, intellectual and moral activities. All their decisions, all their responses was, would flow from, from their inner being that is being filled with Jesus, that they might be filled with the fullness of God. Is this making sense? Yeah. And, and being filled with the love of God. The other day, Michelle McClintock uh, told me about this passage from Pete Gregg in his book, uh, Dirty Glory, that, and, and I've been thinking about it. He wrote, he wrote this. It's quite a long one, so, um, so just bear with me. He wrote, the most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. All the other messages of this book lose their meaning without the infilling presence of God the Father. That was the significance of the temple for Christ. It was, as Jesus said, my Father's house. It was home. 
unless our mission and our acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession, and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination, and duty instead of revelation, expectation, and joy. So today, I want to ask you, as I'm asking myself, what is at your center? What is at, what is going on in your heart? I believe that faith in Jesus is, a, is an ongoing process. I invited Jesus into my heart as a, as a child, as a, as a nine-year-old. But as I've grown older, I need to keep inviting Jesus into my heart. Because I keep, I keep becoming aware of parts of my life that are, not, that are not shaped by Jesus. Behaviors that I know are not good. And, and they reveal to me what's going on within. And in these moments, you know, when, when these things uh, become, are revealed to me, I can immediately turn to God because I know that God loves me. And, and I can, invite him, I can invite, him in, invite him into myself to change me from within. It's not, it's not so much about that God, that God leaves when we do something wrong or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just saying that there's... Uh, we invite him into our hearts, and then we need to keep inviting him in to change the parts that that are not in line with him. Now you might, you might have been like like me. You might have given your life to Jesus years and years and years ago. <laughs> Maybe as a child, right? But since then, your center has shifted, and you've drifted. Now is the time to invite him into your heart again. Hi, Lena. Now is the time to invite him into your heart again. And this means being willing to let him shape, shape you from the inside out, from your core. In this season, you know, coming out of our 49 days of lockdown, I believe that God is calling to us and he's beckoning us and he's asking us, recenter yourselves, recenter myself on Jesus. So again, I keep coming back to it, an honest reflection what would you say is at your center? What is shaping your decisions? What is shaping your responses? Are you overflowing with the good treasure stored in your heart? It's a time for us to be like looking at our priorities and our values. And, and I want to say it's a mistake to look to our culture, to look to our city. Don't worry, it was just a bike falling over. <laughs> it's okay. It's a mistake to look to our city and to our culture to determine, determine what we do and what we value. It's a mistake to look to our phones, to Facebook. It's a mistake to look to the news. It's a mistake to look to the government. It's a mistake to look to the things that we can buy, own, or sell. Like if nothing else, this season is showing, is showing us that all those things can be stripped away very quickly, in a moment. Um, they've been revealed to be a shaky foundation. It's not a good idea to be building our lives on those things. And when I was preparing this, when I was preparing this uh, my phone was lost. So I was, I was writing up my notes and my phone was lost. And it, I lost it on Friday night 
um, sometime on Friday evening, and, uh, and I looked for a little bit, but you know it was Friday night, so I didn't really wasn't really too bothered. I thought I'll find it in the morning. I looked for it in the morning, couldn't find it. Asked, yeah, Tessa tried to help me find it. Elena tried to help me find it, and yeah, I couldn't find it. And uh, and so I was working away on my talk, and and I couldn't believe. Hello. Oh, yeah, it was. Anyway, <laughs> Elena tried to blow my punchline. I looked for my phone everywhere, and what was I trying to say? Oh yeah, that's right. I couldn't believe the number of times that I instinctively wanted to check my phone to see what was going on or to see if people were messaging me or, or whatever. Um, and then before realizing that it was lost, it was like this this totally weird thing. And I, and I was reflecting on it because because uh, I was writing this talk and I was going, what is going on inside of me that I instinctively want to be checking my phone so often? I lost track. I lost number of time, not the number of times I wanted to look at my phone. Anyway, as Elena was popping over to say a moment ago, um, we hunted for it, and um, I remembered that the night before. I thought it'd be funny if I got into um, Elena's bed before before she got into her bed, and um, so I remember that I did that, and so we thought, oh, I'll just check in there, and then sure enough, um, there was my phone uh, halfway down her bed uh, with flat batteries, and um, yeah, so that's where it was. And um, yeah, and the other funny thing was, once I charged it up, how many messages did I get? Yeah, that's right. Zero messages. <laughs> anyway, that was all of a bit of a sidetrack. Um, I guess my point was that our outward actions, the, the things we do, the things we say, our behaviors, they can reveal to us what is going on in our hearts. They can indicate to us what's going on deep down in our center. And we might notice behaviors that are not good, like for me, like wanting to reach for my phone. I realize that it's, that's a kind of behavior I don't really like about myself. Or it might be it might be something else, maybe a bit more significant, like uh, you know being unkind or, or rude to others. Now behaviors behaviors that hurt uh, or damage other people, or even our self damaging behaviors, things that we do to ourselves, we that we uh, we know are damaging. You know these all these kinds of things. They're called sin, actually, and they're an opportunity. You know, sin sin we think of as being like this massive wedge that that um, that dry, a wedge that separates us from God, but but I think we can look at sin quite differently and we can kind of see them as uh, an opportunity to invite Jesus into our hearts, an opportunity to recenter our lives on the one who is love. It's a mistake to try to change our behavior uh, only on the outside. It's a mistake to only try to change our behavior without being changed from the center, from where all of our behavior flows. In fact, that approach quickly becomes legalistic, it becomes religious. It's, it's like saying uh, that we can earn God's love or his acceptance, that we can earn our way into a relationship with him. Um, it doesn't work. It needs to start in our hearts. It needs to start in our innermost being. Um, our hearts must be centered on Jesus, filled with Jesus, and with love as the foundation. With love as the foundation, with love in our, within our hearts, that means that we can lead lives that are overflowing with love. Oh, I keep thinking about this thing that happened yesterday, another thing that happened yesterday. And I know I'm a bit over time, but I just, I've got to tell you. So yesterday we had one of those things, uh, we, were, we were with Genesis Energy, and um, we had one of those, um, they call them shouts or something like that. And it means 
that you don't get charged for your power for eight hours. And so um, we we took the strategy of saving up using the dryer and um, and various things uh, using our heaters until we had our, our power shout. And uh, and once we had our power shout going, we could turn everything on and, and it was and it was really awesome. And just this morning, I was, I was thinking how that um, it's God's love is, is a little bit like that, except um, God's love is, is not just for eight hours. God's love's forever, but we can keep drawing from God's love. We can like turn all the switches on and keep drawing from God's God's love as as much as we like. In fact, the more the better with God. The more we draw in His love, the better. It doesn't run out. The letter to Ephesians is also really interesting because there's there's a sequel, and and it's kind of a bit of a snapshot of what happened down the line. Ephesians itself was probably written between 54 and 62 AD, and about 10 or 20 years later, the book of Revelation was written by John from the island of Patmos, which is off the coast of ancient Greece, and, and if, in a straight line, it's actually only 100 kilometers away from Ephesus. Here's this vision of Jesus himself, and, and John writes that, that Jesus is one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like, were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Jesus then tells John to write to the church of Ephesus. And this is what, this is what Jesus says to them. So remember, this is like 10 or 20 years after the, the letter to Ephesians. This is what Jesus says. I know your works. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. It sounds like these Christians in Ephesus, outwardly they were doing the right stuff, but inwardly they drifted. Outwardly they toiled and endured, they fought for the truth, for Jesus' name. But inwardly they'd abandoned their first love. They'd abandoned the love that they showed at the beginning when they first came to life-saving faith in Jesus. To Jesus, this is the most critical thing. It's not the outward stuff, it's the inward stuff. What's at our center? To repeat what Pete Gregg wrote, unless our mission, our acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession, spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination, and duty instead of revelation, expectation, and joy. But Jesus didn't finish there. With his message to the Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, he, he, he had this promise. It was a warning that came with a promise. And he said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That sounds pretty good. The tree of life and the paradise of God. I think that we, I reckon that we are like the Christians in, a, in Ephesus. 
We're like the Ephesians. We're being called to re- to center and to recenter ourselves on Jesus, to invite him in and to re-invite him in to our hearts. The way to respond to Jesus' invitation, to, to uh, his invitation to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God, the way to respond to that is to invite Jesus into our hearts, to invite him in to shape and direct our lives. This sets us and it resets us on a trajectory towards him and the paradise of God. It actually involves conquering. It involves overcoming. Uh, it involves, um, yeah, overcoming the, the, the pull and the feel that we feel towards other things, the stuff of the world, like all these things that are vying for our hearts. Conquer is such a bold word, eh? Conquer, conquest. It's a strong word, often used for you know, military battles in a really physical sense. And it carries, the, it carries the meaning of fighting. We need to fight to have our hearts centered on Jesus. We need to fight for his love to be what, what fills our hearts and to motivate our actions. We've got to fight for it. In the coming weeks, I'm going to look at a few other, few other words of these re-words. Realign is next week. Realign in the ways of Jesus, recreate and renew. But today the word is recenter. And the thing that I want you to think about, the thing I want you to pray about, is, is this question what or who is at your center? What or who is shaping your life from the inside out? Today is a good day. It's a day that we can that we can we can center ourselves on Jesus, no matter where we are. Even if we haven't even even if we haven't given our lives to Jesus yet, today is a day that we can we can give Him our life. We can center our lives on Him. Or if like if you're like me and you've been a been a follower of Jesus for a long time, today is a day to recenter ourselves on Jesus, to invite Him into the parts of our heart which which need to be uh, realigned to His ways, to be transformed from the inside out. So um, let's just pray. Let's take this moment to look to God, who is a God of love. He is not angry with us. We're his children. We can look to him and invite him into those parts. We can ask for his forgiveness where we know we've been, we've been wrong. He forgives. Uh, we, we can ask for his freedom from things that are not right in our lives. We can ask for freedom from sin. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb. As we, as we take hold of him. So Lord Jesus, thank you for, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for these scriptures that we've looked at today. Thank you that you're calling us, you're beckoning us in this season to recenter ourselves on Jesus, to be filled with Jesus and to be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, would you come, would you come now and uh, and bless every person that is that is streaming in today, that is tuning in, that is listening. I pray that you'd bless every person, and that, that they would all know that you're you're with them, that you've not forsaken them, that you're calling to them. I I pray for the ones that are um, that are feeling distant from you, that are distant from you. Lord, that they would open up their hearts to you. And invite you in. Yeah, Lord, I pray that even this season you would reveal to us, you'd show us the things which aren't which aren't right, and you want to us to um, 
to take note of, that you would help us to uh, prioritize our life and, uh, and set, our, set our sights um, on what's important. I pray your blessing over, over our church, family, and for everybody that's joining in today. Thank you so much for your goodness, Lord Jesus. Amen.